welcome to and introducing a podcast about words about music i'm chris wade and i'm molly o'brien and introducing on lead vocals it's marilyn manson the shock rock icon who stunned the world and defiled the nation will be the subject of today's show through his memoir, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell. Mm. But first, let's introduce our own provocateur on the third mic. Today, it's the original bad boy of TV criticism, Shanti Collins. Hello, everybody, and hail Satan. Yeah. Hey, Sean. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm ready to uh, to go back on that long, hard road. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That you thought you'd never see before, but you got to turn around and, and gaze back and see where see where we've all come. Since it's a the, two-way uh, road. Yes. Mm-hmm. what he doesn't say in the title because it uh, would be too long. Right. Since the dirty, gritty, uh, horrifying days of the late mid-90s. Ooh. Spoopy. Uh, <laughs> so, Spoopy indeed. Uh, Molly, what did we read today? Well, we read Marilyn Manson's memoir, which he wrote and, and was published in 1998. So this was like the height of his fame and thus has created a sort of interesting characteristic for this memoir because he, instead of it being a narrative of, you know, fall and redemption, there's some of that, but there's also then many, many, many more falls and redemptions for Marilyn Manson along the way. So you kind of catch him at this period of like hubris that, you know, he was right and everyone else was wrong. And it's bizarre. This is like weirdly at the f- end of the first act of the Marilyn Manson story or yeah. like midway, midway through second act or something. Yes. The- You've read this, right? I read it in 1998 when it came out. Oh I bought God. it and read it quite unironically because it was a <laughs> huge Marilyn Manson fan. Amazing. Well, that brings me into my usual first question is like, how do we all feel about Marilyn Manson going into this? I, I love that. The circle, the circle of trust. Yeah, the circle of trust. You yeah. want to go first, Molly? Marilyn Manson. I didn't. I never listened to his music. It's definitely never allowed to. Not really interested in it. Um, I was aware of him as a sort of like horrific, shocking specter of a person, um, but didn't really engage. Uh, but I remember like, you know, his album cover where he had tits was really like mind blowing to my 12, 13 year old self or whatever, however old I was when I was aware of it. Um, he was just like, it, it was, uh, I, I couldn't, I did not have the vocabulary to comprehend Marilyn Manson when he was a thing. Yeah, I was, I was a little older. So, I mean, it wasn't off limits to me, but it was something that I would be completely uninterested in at the time. This was definitely like something that my, um, like, uh, intimidating older boys, uh, were maybe into. I was like a. Li- My entire cohort was a little too young for the whole shock rock, shock rap <laughs> era. Uh, but you know, th- this whole aesthetic was uh, made intentionally to be like a dirty at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and I felt very uh, like alienated from that aesthetic. And I still think I'm still trying to put my words in mind around the kind of evil dirtiness of this whole <laughs> uh, look that I think is off putting. Even now that uh, I am old and wiser and think that Satan is indeed cool, awesome. uh, <laughs> I have come to the correct interpretation of Satan. That yes, please, Satan rules, um, <laughs> but. Even now, I look back and I'm like, you know, everything from the color schemes to the fonts, I'm still like not quite right or think is like in the in the right pocket for this time. It's grody. There was like a whole aesthetic (laughs) in the 90s and not even with Manson, but just in general, like people being dipped in Vaseline and jelly and music videos and everything looking kind of cruddy and gross. And he kind of fit right into that. But he added in all these sort of Baroque goth pseudo-fascist touches as he went on, you know. In a weird way, he brought, like, fascism being cool back to alt-rock. I mean, he's a... We can get into this, but there's a line in in his biggest hit, The Beautiful People, 
capitalism has made it this way. Old-fashioned fascism will take it away. He said that in 1997. Oh, Jesus. So, 96. So uh, that was prophetic. <laughs> sad, 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 sad. I'm, also, I'm also thinking this is like kind of a side topic to uh, Marilyn Manson's playing with uh, Nazism, which I'm sure we'll get into more. But uh, it's reminding me of this supercut I saw once of um, 3D trees, bad 3D trees and alt rock videos from the 90s. Oh, sure. Yep. Do you remember that supercut? I do. I, do. I, I always try to. Uh, pull it up but all i can find is the video for radiohead's fake plastic trees mm-hmm. because the combination of sur- search words of like fake trees alt rock video will you only want that. one thing <laughs> but it is like this whole aesthetic and it's the humor of the video is how many examples they find of poorly rendered bad gross dead 3d trees, trees yeah. in alt rock videos oh and it's God. and it's like everything from um you know, like Pearl Jam to like stained the band 3D CGI'd in to performing under a gross dead 3D tree. Yep. And that was like the aesthetic of these. It, it almost reminds me of um, the Dope Show video, which is like maybe an artier version of this where he's singing in that alien hill, desolate hillscape mm-hmm. uh, is like the exact same aesthetic of that. And uh, it's a bad aesthetic <laughs> so, <laughs> is, my, is my position. It's it's not good. You What you were saying uh, once recently was that Lady Gaga videos are like Marilyn Manson videos, but not disgusting. That was my first thought the day I saw the Bad Romance video when that song came mm-hmm. out. I was like. This is a Marilyn Manson video. I was so I, like I was overjoyed because yeah. I liked Gaga, you know, some. And then I, that song was obviously a huge quantum leap for her. And then with the video, I was like, "This is the best thing that's ever happened to me." Yeah, you know, this song is going to be on the radio. It's going to be all over everything, and it's she's dressed like Marilyn Manson and being yeah. weird and, and creepy. And that is the exact change. It's like the difference between a Marilyn Manson video and a Lady Gaga video is that aesthetic change where somebody figured out to t- how to take all those impulses, like all the stuff that he was doing to like inject body modification, gross, grody body mod, uh, like gender fuckery mm-hmm. into pop music yeah. in a way that's streamlined technology control like all that shit yeah yeah it, I, I first saw Marilyn Manson live at Roseland in 1994 May of 94 oh with, my with God. Nine Inch Nails they were touring for that must have been a hell of a show it was it was because it was before clo- it was after the record came out but before Closer broke sure so they weren't doing arenas yet and <laughs> I think I might have heard of Marilyn Manson before simply because there was a cooler kid than me uh, <laughs> that I hung out with. But I, it's what everybody fun. was saying when we walked in that, and, and, you, and you could hear in Roseland, was like, Marilyn Manson, who's she? That's <laughs> what everyone was saying. And then he came on and everybody was, was like, oh, was, my world has changed. It was very, very striking because the way he moved and he was so thin and, and just – you know, aggressively bizarre mm-hmm. in his sort of physical presentation of himself. It, it really, it made quite an impression. And it was yeah. just one of like, Trent Reznor was sort of my, he was like the Virgil to my Dante in terms of music <laughs> in the nineties. Like I could rat like Tori Amos, Aphex Twin, Pantera, David Bowie, Pink Floyd, Psychic TV. All these bands are bands mm. that I got into Beat Beat Manifesto, fucking rush i think i probably paid for attention to for the first time because trent reznor was like yeah all these people are good and mm-hmm. marilyn manson i think is the number one beneficiary of that yeah without, without question do we delve into the the sick twisted world of marilyn manson twisted 
do we yeah do we dare open this accursed tome and, and spill its poison? <laughs> I <our> opened minds? <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm the, the poison is within me. <laughs> well, well, give it to us then. Uh, okay, all right, guys. Brian Hugh Warner. That's his real name. <laughs> Which doesn't that sound like a serial killer name? Yes, Brian Hugh Warner. Brian Hugh. Yeah, it does sound like a serial killer. Name. I was originally laughing at the the like lameness of it. It, it sounds very square. Of Brian. Course. Mm-hmm. Brian Hugh Warner. You know, it has the same syllable cadence as John Wayne Gacy. John like Gacy. all yep. those single syllable, single syllable, double syllable. Yep, nailed it. Um, he's born on January fifth, nineteen sixty nine, in Canton, Ohio. So he's a Capricorn like you and an Ohioan like you. I've always thought that we had similar continences. Blood mm-hmm. brothers. Um, to his parents, Barb and Hugh, uh, they, he dedicates his book to them. He says, "May God forgive them for bringing me into this world." <laughs> Starting strong. But so, you know that Barb and Hugh are definitely like, definitely like, oh Brian, we're just so proud of your little, the little music project that you have going. <laughs> We couldn't be more happy about uh, that you finally made it, pursuing your creative dreams. Forgive <laughs> them for birthing me. <laughs> um, so the book starts with uh, like a tween-aged Marilyn Manson uh, snooping in his grandfather's basement, where he finds uh, uh, a bunch of bestiality pornography, as well as bustiers, bras, slips, panties, uh, several tangled women's wigs with stiff mottled hair, and a collection of dildos crusted with aged Vaseline. Um, so we begin the book in his grandfather's pleasure chest. Pepperidge Farm remembers. <laughs> um, I would characterize this moment as a dark exploration of the perversities that people try to hide. Uh, and that sets the tone for the rest of the book. Um, so his grandfather was like, you know, a, ba- his, a, basement, a basement perv, as it were. Uh, Manson, Just your classic basement perv. You know, you got basement pervs, you got first floor pervs, second floor pervs. Yeah. It's all good. Um, he grows up Episcopalian, which he refers to as basically Diet Catholic. Um, I'm he, yeah, pretty sure fair. every Episcopalian refers to it as Diet Catholicism. Yeah, uh, it's that's fine. Uh, he is brainwashed to believe that the apocalypse is coming, um, that the mark of the beast will be upon those who don't submit to Christ, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So he grew up in a very like apocalyptically religious like education specifically. I don't think of Episcopalians as particularly apocalyptic, yeah. but you know they come in all the stripes. Maybe he's giving a little bit of a, a spin on his yeah. right. True, true. He does make it seem quite dire. Um, he, you know, rebellion sets in pretty early on. He starts stealing lunch money, uh, selling ungodly cassettes to his uh, fellow students, and then he steals the tapes back from their uh, bags and and jackets. Nice racket. Uh, so mm-hmm. not bad. Um, good, good racket. What, what is an ungodly cassette? I think like seventies metal. Was okay. like you know that that was the shit he was working. He, he with. was the the Sabbath dealer. Yeah, in, in his school. <laughs> you can find him with a you know the trench coat lined with cassette tapes, <laughs> yeah. um, which he will soon have again. Uh, he said Christian school defined the taboos, then held them away at arm's length. As soon as I switched schools, it was all there for the taking. Sex, drugs, rock, the occult. I didn't have to look for them; they found me. So he went from extreme deprivation to extreme celebration of the very ungodly things that. Uh, you know, were denied him in his Christian youth when he switched schools. I feel like that's a really good uh, description of a uh, intensely religious upbringing is that it spends a lot of time telling you exactly what is wrong in the world. Right. So you have a very clear idea of the things that you're not supposed to do. Uh, the, the, defining them and holding them at arm's length instead of just like i don't know not telling a kid like what are the the like most depraved sex acts and why you shouldn't <laughs> yeah. care about them i think that kind of moralism is basically a kink you know yeah. Like, oh yeah 
you're just working that shit out and, yes. and saying, don't do this extremely cool and awesome thing that I'm going to describe to you. Yeah. In detail. Yeah. Like Lucille Bluth getting off on withholding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Marilyn, he eventually he loses his. By the way, he refers to himself. He doesn't think of himself separately as as Brian and Marilyn. He is at this point the two halves have merged. Um, in our last episode, we talked about the differences between Marshall Mathers, Eminem, and Slim Shady. In this episode, there is no difference. Marilyn Manson is he is he has embodied his alter ego and stage persona at this point. So he's not putting on any kind of mask. He like the name is simply a name. It, yeah. it's really all him. You could call him Marilyn and he would answer. But could I also call him Brian and he would answer? I don't know. No, because I remember seeing an episode of Politically Correct where some <laughs> uh Christian conservative person was calling him Brian all the time. And uh, Bill Maher was like, come on, would you call Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay? And it's like, that's kind of a good point and also mm. kind of a terrible point. Um, you know, As with everything with Bill Maher, one half step away <laughs> from actually being interesting or good. But the half step is into being a total shithead. Oh, man. Um, Marilyn loses his virginity to what he refers to as the town slut, Tina Potts. Um, hope that wasn't her real name. Sorry, Tina. Um, he it's uses a, good, a condom. It's a good name for the, the town. He uses a condom he stole from his grandpa's stash. I don't know why his grandpa needs to use condoms when he's b- basically down in his basement hey, whacking it. God bless Marilyn Manson's horny grandpa for for instilling an early pervasive yeah. into him. He basically well, yeah. set him off on the long hard road yeah, yeah, uh, into hell. and out of hell. Extremely hard. Um, he, get, he gets crabs from the first <laughs> time he has sex, which is sad. Um, he's clearly not still not stoked about it all those years <laughs> later. Um, and then also. So around this time, he's initiated into uh, you know Satanism and satanic rituals uh, by his friend John's super stoned brother. Um, this guy forces him to take bong hits, then drink the bong water, which has been spiked with Southern Comfort, which is not something I'm familiar with as like a thing to to do. Wow! Why can't you just drink the whiskey without mixing it with the bong water? I'm actually, gagging. It's less like, disgusting that way. The yeah. worst thing that I could ever imagine. Uh, Mar- Marilyn Manson says, if this was pot, I didn't want to be on it. <laughs> um, what else? He He's he's a bitter and angry guy. He's self-described bitter and angry. He's an outcast with very few friends. Um, and then he moves to Fort Lauderdale, which is... <laughs> which I'm like, sure is going to make everything better. Yeah, that's, ne- that's never like a great move. Um, yeah, while where, he's, where outcasts go to curdle. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> He's like a late, late-ish, mid-ish, late-ish teen at this point. Um, so he somehow cons his way into a job writing about music for a now defunct magazine called 25th Parallel. Um, amongst other assignments, he gets to interview Trent Reznor. So the next time he sees Trent after that interview, he's opening for Nine Inch Nails. Um, so that's kind of like a weird... Remember me, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. That's a success story. Local boy made good. Yeah, yeah. And local, local journalist... Which is, you know, under attack right now. The who whomst will be the Marilyn Mansons of the mm-hmm. future yeah. without something like Gothamus to support them. Yes. Um, gosh. Anyway, so this is ni- late eighties, this is nineteen eighty nine. Uh two live crew are getting dropped from record stores for being obscene at this time. Um so People just couldn't handle being horny for butts. Is that, no. It was intense. Yeah. I don't know if that's a digression, but man. Growing no, tell me the, about growing it. Growing up in the 90s, because I'm 39, and so that was like, 
you know, my, my sort of cultural consciousness started, I would say, in 1989 with the Batman movie. Nice. And so then, so for the whole 90s, it was all Jesse Helms, Parental, res- you know, Music Resource Center, Parental Advisory Stickers, Two Tipper Live Gore. Crew, Tipper Gore, and asshole. then just controversy after controversy, not just even musical, but like NWA, Two Live Crew, Manson, eventually Eminem towards the tail end, but Beavis and Butthead, South Park, Mortal mm. Kombat, and just this constant <laughs> atmosphere of, uh, you know, that the that the children, you know, this moral, it was a constant moral panic. It mm-hmm. was really like 50s-esque, which is weird when you think of everything else that was going on in the 90s. And Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like our, for our generation's coming of age in the aughts, like that was very non-existent. Like people were mad at people like Paris Hilton but for we, being like vapid, dumb and right. rapid, yeah. But not and maybe like instilling poor values onto kids of like materialism or whatever, which is like very quaint. And it's weird that it seems like we're coming back around to that kind of abject moral panic about behavior in public and what is and is not acceptable speech. It's it's like the debate about PC. 20 years after PCU is like back in vogue now, mm-hmm. even heightened because it's about literal Nazi protests rather than if like South Park is a show that should be on the air or not. Right. People yeah. are getting murdered over this. Yeah. 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 Uh, but <laughs> it, it seems like that whole mode of, of cultural argument really almost disappeared. Cause I remember but we you were know, South reaping, Park being on time magazine when I was very young, but we then, were reaping the benefits of it though, or not the benefits, the, the cons, because like I grew up in a household where like parental advisory stickers were God. Like if it, if there was a CD that had a parental advisory sticker, I wasn't allowed to have it. And that was directly related to this stuff. For whatever reason, my family never gave a shit. I got so appetite for destruction with <laughs> the cross with the skulls and the parental advisory sticker. Hell I was yeah. in fifth grade for Easter from my grandma. Hell and yeah. after that, I mean, it's like no, they just did not – nobody cared. Yeah. No one cared. They didn't um, care what I listened to. It's so. all, But it's also just like quaint thinking of appetite for destruction as something that should be like regulated content. You know? Right. Hey, right. it was – you know, there was some mm-hmm. nasty, nasty stuff in there. He said, why don't you just fuck off at one point? <laughs> he did. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, keep your kids away yep. from, from Protect your kids. old man Axel. Mm, old man Axel, <laughs> young hot Axel back then. <laughs> yes, that's true. Uh, anyway, so yeah, th- this is like the the climate that Marilyn Manson is kind of being a late late adolescent in. Um, is this idea of like things being declared obscene, um, and this inspires him to basically become a performer. Um, he he was a poet, he, like you know, he did like stand up poetry or uh, <laughs> like kind of like self performed slam poetry. Um, God, I would love to have a tape of that. But I'm he sure it is extremely corny. I bet it's <laughs> extremely. There's a there's a short story. He also writes like hor- like Lovecraftian horror stories. And there's one republished in there that's really bad. It involves like in there's incest and murder and and uh, burying uh, your mom in the backyard, that sure. kind of stuff. Um, but he, he, you know, he, it wasn't like he grew up, learned how to play guitar, and was like, I want to be like you know Bob Dylan when I grew up. He had no musical aspirations, and it went from that. The inspiration to be a musician was because he wanted to push the boundaries of obscenity. He said he wanted to be the mo- the loudest, most persistent alarm clock I could be because there didn't seem to be any other way to snap society out of its Christianity and media induced coma. Marilyn, my 
God. Um, he's still in Florida at this point. He meets a bunch of dudes that he honestly seems to hate. Like he doesn't write about anybody, anybody in this book. Like he likes or respects them. Yeah. Trent is maybe like borderline that way, but he also is in such a feud with him by the end of this book that he still doesn't give Trent his due. Is it from he a seems sense to that, hate literally everybody? Is it from a sense that he feels that he's like better, more artistic, has a better grip or a purer view vision of what the world is like? I wonder if he just doesn't it, value it, friendship as a thing, like the idea that you could be friends with someone and get right. the benefits of, of com- companionship in that way. The people I remember him speaking the most favorably about, uh, besides Trent occasionally, uh, was Twiggy, the bass player, who mm-hmm. uh, has become a dubious figure in recent days. <laughs> yes. And then also um, uh, Pantera roadie Tony F. Wiggins. Yes. <laughs> apparently just a world-class pervert yes <laughs> they just all loved so much like the all the like dad hanging out down in new orleans with the uh, tony f wiggins is he uh i feel like when you're a roadie who has achieved notoriety right. enough that like th- that we would know of their names you yeah. have to be a special kind of dirtbag when like dimebag daryl is like that guy ooh, that guy's <laughs> fucked up <laughs> Um, we're, we're going to talk about Wiggins, uh, because he was also the bus driver for Danzig. Oh my God. Uh, so wow, that's, that's a- how Marilyn Manson, I guess, met him. Uh, you know how Malcolm Gladwell says that some people are connectors? Yeah. He sounds like He's a connector. Yeah. yeah. He drives, he drives the bus. Um, so he meets all these guys that he doesn't seem to like, uh, Scott Puteski, who eventually becomes Daisy Berkowitz, uh, Brian Tutunik, who becomes Olivia Newton Bundy. You see the pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, wonderful. Um, so he puts them, these guys, into the first incarnation of his band, which is called Marilyn Manson and the Spooky Kids. <laughs> which, which honestly sounds like something, a name that would go today. Yeah. Like that sounds like yes. something that could come out of like the Twenty One Pilots scene. That's true. Although kids. nowadays these these guys just sound like murderinos. They'd have a pod. They have a true crime podcast now. Oh yeah, you know about like serial killers. That's really? what they would do instead of well, because they're all named you know oh, Daisy yeah, Burgles, yeah, 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 sure, 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 Madonna Wayne Gacy and all these. Yeah, you know, it's just like nowadays it'd be like. You know, they'd be doing mattress commercials between. Yeah, yeah. they'd be like, the, they'd be like the so last true. podcast on the left. Yes, guys. they would. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is that is incredibly true. Shout uh, out to last podcast. I love that show. So they, you know, he starts writing a couple songs. They start practicing at their first gig. Uh, Marilyn experiences horrible stage fright and insecurity. Uh, after they finish playing, he goes backstage and vomits. Um, but then he hears applause and he says, I felt a sense of pride. Sucks the vomit back into it. Yeah. He's like, oh, no, no, no. Eat it all up. He says, I felt put a the sense. the bile back in me. Put the, put the bile hit the floor. Uh, <laughs> Say that every time I puke. Yeah. <laughs> every time. Often. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Um, he said, I felt a sense of pride, accomplishment, and self-satisfaction strong enough to eclipse my withering self-image and my punching bag past. <laughs> so, you know, performing fuels him and makes him forget about his insecurities, as it were. Um, the performance art element of his band grows. Uh, he meets a girl named Nancy who gloms onto the band and becomes essentially Manson's stage accessory. So here's where things start to get funky. Um, he starts out by like leading her around the stage on a leash. Um, and then she's the one who he says that she's the one who encourages him to do things like punch her in the face on stage. Um, oh, so there's like a, like a weird dynamic with this woman. But according to Marilyn Manson, she's complicit and encouraging of it. But I also take these things with a grain of salt. It's also weird 
to imagine like Manson and in, in our knowledge has always been big enough that these are arena shows that have, you know, uh, tech to them, lights, sound, stage movement, maybe even pyro. And so if you see something like that on a stage... Giant metal guns that aren't secured to the stage. So when you see something on that level, you're like, oh, this is rehearsed, it's controlled, it's a spectacle, and you appreciate it on that level, but also you know that there's like a stagecraft to it. I'm imagining him touring around like dingy Florida clubs in the early nineties, like punching women on this face in the face on stage and, you know, being, you know, at the very back of a 50 person club and seeing then being like, Oh my what the God, right. what is going right. on here? What was the level of stagecraft when you saw him in 94? Like, what was he doing? Well, I, I wound up seeing him twice. Cause then I, then they opened again on the arena tour at uh-huh. the end of the year. It certainly wasn't. I saw him eventually again at Ozfest 97. At that point they had oh. the podiums and the, mm-hmm. and the lightning, you know, fascist circle thing and like crosses and it was really like a, a very very intense kind of Nuremberg rally oh, vibe God. to it you know Woof. And he's, you know he's making some kind of commentary about like yeah. rock stardom and 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 fandom and fame and popularity and stuff mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was just like a kind of sick beer slug and rock and roll band back then you know they were yeah. just they dressed like in a way that you would notice even even versus <laughs> like uh you know, versus Nine Inch Nails, you know, the, the guy in Nine Inch Nails who looked the most like a Marilyn Manson person was Robin Fink, who's the guitar player and has yeah, yeah. been forever because mm-hmm. he had crazy hair. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. You know, kind of. And he's like tall and gaunt. Too, yeah, right? yeah. And like, you know, on weird sort of, you know, he looked like he was dressed for Dune. You know? <laughs> and, and so there was that. But like, I think Twiggy at the time was wearing like baby doll dresses and they had a lot of like smeary red mm-hmm. lipstick all over and, um, it made an impression, but not in, you know, it was more like how they looked than how the stage yeah, yeah. came yeah. across, you know. Interesting. Yeah, no, this this sounds pretty pretty hardcore. Um, meanwhile, this girl, uh, he's he's dating this guy named, or girl named Teresa, and uh, this girl Nancy is trying to seduce, successfully seduces Marilyn away from Teresa, while Nancy's boyfriend seduces Marilyn's girlfriend away from him. Very, very gothic. He calls it a gothic terror of this whole relationship. Um, it sounds. Uh, it sounds like it worked out for everybody. Kind of. Everybody just switched one to the right. Yeah, mm-hmm. just uh, do si do and swing, swing your partner. Um, so yeah, then he starts. He's regularly cheating on uh, his girlfriend with Nancy. He then ends it with Nancy because he hates himself. Um, then she starts. The backlash starts. She starts calling clubs to cancel his shows. <laughs> she threatens audience members at his shows, and then he starts thinking about murdering Nancy. Ugh. He like quite seriously, at least in the book, says he says my respect for human life having long since dulled. Oh, at this time, yeah. taking someone's life seemed like a necessary growing and learning experience. <laughs> Where I'm from, it's just like bat and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> and then this is like, he thinks that, you know, once you have your first kill, then, then you can become a man. Yeah, you got to put it under, you got to put it under your belt. You can become one of the lost boys at that point, right? <laughs> it's, I mean, it is crazy how much the tone of, of everything about him does edge up against like, uh, you know, a school shooter uh, journal. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think he really does. It's arch is like the word. I Like everything yeah. is so like archly described, but like he really is towing that line between being serious and not that makes people really uncomfortable. Right. We'll have a longer conversation about this on the end, but I, I, I want to get a, a sense of what you feel after this reading this book about his presentation of character versus self. But we'll talk to that at the end. I don't, yeah, I don't even know if I have a good answer yet, but maybe <laughs> by the end I will. Um, so he actually plots with his keyboardist. Madonna Wayne Gacy. To- I mean, this is just the shit that you talk about in the tour bus. It's like you're driving between Gainesville and Fort Lauderdale. You got two hours to kill. You're like, how do we kill our stage model? Yeah. Like she got, she's really annoying. You know, go- ghosting is very 2017, but like, I guess, right. you know, just mur- literally murking someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. 92. <laughs> the difference between ghosting and ghostifying. Ghostifying. <laughs> you kids have it easy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so he literally plots to set her house on fire with Madonna Wayne Gacy. Um, he, like, has the materials to do so, and then they go up to her house, and there's, like, a drunk homeless man who then starts following them and bothering them, and the plan is foiled. Weak. 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 If he was in the Norwegian metal scene, that that house would be burnt. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's, pro- it's probably good for everybody that that doesn't that Man doesn't up, happen. Maryland. Yeah, yeah. I don't if know you're going to burn Nancy a house, is. burn a house. Come on. <laughs> I, I feel like this is a good point to point out that the, the book was co-written or ghostwritten or whatever by Neil Strauss. Yes. The Dirt, I think. The Motley Crue bio. Ooh, and then, okay. uh, That's definitely on our list. We're going to hit that someday. Uh, it's going to be a big up. Yeah, I think it was a pickup artist. I forget what his... Mystery? No. No, he wasn't mystery. He had another book. Seclusion? Uh, no, I don't know. I'm just making him. I don't remember what his name. The game. Thank you. The Neil game. Strauss the, is Neil, the game. The Neil game Strauss, Strauss is the game. Holy yep. shit! What? I did not know this. Yeah. Oh my god! Wow. This so, is uh... <laughs> that sheds some light, I think, on the uh, description and treatment of women. Oh my god! And throughout the the book. Wow, that's is... quite a revelation. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> that's that's wow. Okay, <laughs> that puts some things into perspective for me, certainly. <laughs> And hearing about this, especially it's gonna oh get God, it's gonna I, get more lurid before it gets less. Does it ever? Lurid, oh man, that actually really makes me want to read into like what Neil Strauss's deal is, like mm-hmm. <laughs> what's his whole deal, dual career as as rock ghostwriter slash professional creep. Right. Mm. Yeah. This, there's a symbiosis here. Yeah. That yeah. Was clearly mutual, mutually beneficial for both. Of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that the game happened after that because you could easily imagine Marilyn Manson being like, to, talking to his agent now, being like, "I think I want to write a memoir," and the agent being like, "You need a real professional creep to help you out with I this." Know, just right. the guy. <laughs> uh, so the band uh, gets more provocative, more you know, more button pushing at an early show in Tampa. Marilyn tries to cover himself uh, with a canister of five hundred crickets when he <laughs> when he releases them, they're all dead, and the, the scent. Of the dead crickets causes him to immediately throw up. Oh my god, that's amazing. In response, half a dozen people in the audience also throw up. <laughs> and this is how he learns that disgust is contagious. <laughs> that I wish I had video of that moment. I, li- I, dead crickets. I think disgust is contagious would make a great children's book title. Like everybody poops and disgust, and disgust is, is contagious. contagious. Or also a Marilyn Manson song. Yes. Yep. Probably. Um, so 
the the ri- the actual rise of the band um, is not really detailed by Marilyn Manson in his own words or in Neil Strauss's words, um, but by a 1995 interview that he did with something called Empyrean Magazine. <laughs> they never published the interview at the time because it was too they, hot, too they, hot for presses. They determined that uh, getting Marilyn Manson super high on coke in order to get him to talk freely was unethical, <laughs> so they didn't publish the uh, the interview. But Marilyn oh, published. Wow, it. what a regret for Empyrean Magazine's like, uh, devotion to journalistic. Ethics. Also, amazing budget for uh, a print magazine. They, the, could have been, they could have been Vice, man. They yeah, yeah. the ball. <laughs> that seal hadn't been broken. They right. shouldn't have admitted it. That's of that, of getting him high on coke was the story. <laughs> My God. Um, so, in this uh, interview, he explains how his band signed to Trent Reznor's label, Nothing Records. They record the album Portrait which, of an American Family, which was an imprint of. Interscope, Interscope, right? yes. Right. Once again, Jimmy Iovine's little talons are everywhere. I mean, this run of eps we've done through the mid-90s, is, especially after we watched The Defiant Ones, I mean, we brought it up in like the three M&M, out of the last four Black episodes. Black Eyed Peas, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it really touches everything. Good, good taste, man. Hey, Jimmy Iovine, sign us. <laughs> sign our podcast. You're, he's, you deal, he's too busy making headphones now. Well, yeah, you do stuff with Spotify, though, right? Nah. I don't know. Do you know, you know, do you care about Portrait of American Family? Do I, that you was, like any songs from it? I do. That was the first one because it was the first one that was widely available. You know, people were trading like spooky kids bootlegs. That's how into like. Damn. We had to get into it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like that was because it was no internet. So it was like a, a it, it was kind of almost. You like had a, to wait for your high school tape guy yeah. to come up with his trench was, coat and be like, "What do you want?" It was basically like extreme sports. You know what I mean? Like it was a sign of like it's a sort of badge of extreme devotion to get into the shit. You know, but uh, Portrait of American Family was the first one that was widely available. Yeah, I still like that. I like that record. Uh, Lunchbox is awesome, and Cake and Sodomy is great. Let's listen to let's do some Cake and Sodomy. him for just having really upbeat songs. Yep. You know what I mean? The BPM is strong. I'm waiting for a certain key phrase. What a wonderful, like, precursor to, like, are we human or are we dancer? You can imagine being, like, a 15-year-old boy. Maybe I just turned 16 in all-boys Catholic high school. Oh, my God. And, like, like, you know, you show up at your locker and people are like, oh, look, the Manson record's out, you know, being like... I am the god of fuck. Just like walking yeah. through yeah. your high school with that phrase rattling in the back yep. of your head as you're striding. I am the god of fuck. I am the god of fuck. I am the god. <laughs> it was so cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It was so cool. Um, yeah, I have to say that I like. Again, like having those thoughts about him that I had, the, those uh, prejudgments, mm. just based on the visual aesthetic and that it was stuff that weirder older boys liked. Um, I kind of assumed when I went in on my listen on this a few weeks ago that it would be cornier than it was, but uh, these songs are pretty fucking raw. They're yeah. pretty great. Yeah. And he really like nails that um, menacing tone and uh, early on, and it um, it just gets sharper and sharper as he go- goes along. Um, it's, it's menacing. 
Yep. It was, it was, it was frightening to listen to. You know, it began with, especially when you're a kid, and again, it's pre-internet, and all that you know is rumor. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's all you, he had his ribs removed so he could suck his own dick. dick. He's Paul Pfeiffer from The Wonder Years. (laughs) (laughs) It it was like at the beginning of Mean Girls when they talk about what's her name, and it's like, she did a commercial in Japan. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's like, you have no idea what's real. (laughs) And so all you have is the record, which sounds terrifying. It begins with a cover of the fucking tunnel sequence. From mm-hmm. Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory, where he does "There's No Earthly Way of Knowing." Yeah. Which, oh my God! Can you and, and it's to just that? like, yeah, yeah. you want to hear a few, a few bars of that? Um, Willy Wonka is such a funny touchstone for like a certain kind of person of like the perversion of like pleasure. Yep. This would have scared the shit out of me if I'd heard it when I was a kid. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely a, a weird, dark, perverted underside to Willy Wonka. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's basically like, it's a house where you can get whatever you want, but it will also destroy you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He may murder a few children. Yeah. Well, well, wait, let's go, let's go all the way back. Willy Wonka is like that Catholicism, or that movie is like that Catholicism impulse in which this vast array of pleasures and possibilities is laid out in front of you and then explicitly told that you may not participate in them. Mm-hmm. And then those who do participate in them are punished severely and draconianly. Yep. Right. Yep. Which, I, I mean, I, uh, and I may cut this after because uh, 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 it's never it's never quite entertaining to describe sketch or stand up, but I saw a great sketch written by uh, Dan Chamberlain. Uh, shout out Dan Chamberlain. Um, he's on Twitter. Uh, where are we all? <laughs> are we all? Uh, 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 adult man, uh, woman were just having their like uh, role play night in the mm-hmm. bedroom, and the woman is encouraging the man <laughs> to describe his fetish, and he just starts describing, and then it describes the entire sequence of events in which uh, the uh, German boy uh, <laughs> drinks <laughs> drinks from the chocolate river, falls in, and is sucked up into a tube, <laughs> trapped in the tube until the chocolate pressure builds up under his bottom and he shoots him through the uh, the ceiling. <laughs> and then like describes that all in great detail, and then is like, and that's my fetish. <laughs> so sure. like, yeah, there is like, and you can imagine how that plays off as humorous. There is a, a very uh, perverse underbelly to Willy Wonka, yeah, right? Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, right. Willy Wonka, the, the chocolate Dottie factory Depp is, version is is weird in its own like inferior. plastic uh, way. No, it was Willy Wonka was the original one. The well, oh, Wonka. Charlie and Chocolate Charlie Factory was the original one. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the Burton one, which okay, fucking yeah. sucked. Yeah. yeah. But that's important, too, because uh, him grabbing onto the iconography of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, again, there was like cultural scarcity in the 90s because of the absence of the internet. Mm-hmm. So it's like that was a common weird thing that enough people had seen that you could get traction with. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like mm-hmm. cannibal Holocaust was not readily available. You know what I mean? Then you were, you had to dig deep to get that. Yeah. No fucking criterion collection, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was like, is cannibal Holocaust on the criterion collection? No, but I mean, would you be surprised if it were? No, I wouldn't be right. So, you know, but that's my point. Like it was, t- it was tougher to find things. Mm-hmm. So certain, uh, works like Willy Wonka, like took on a sort of magnified, space in people's brain. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for something that popular that is also that, that weird. weird. Yeah, weird. yeah. When those, yeah. Whenever those things that hit that kind of intersection get into pop culture, they 
always produce a ripple that becomes like a, a defining thing. Almost like uh, the Monty Python movies uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, have that same kind of thing where they're both extremely weird and extreme and somehow made it through the, the gates into pop culture. Right. Um, here's another question I have as long as we're talking about his early music and we're taking mm-hmm. this little detour. What is the musical inspiration that he's driving off here? Because the, really the only thing I can identify is like uh, maybe like white zombie that's a good question. He didn't. I don't think he talks that much about his influences, other than like you know Judas Priest and shit. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, he and White Zombie, they're basically contemporaries Contemporary, yeah, and yeah, have yeah, like okay, the maybe. same sort of interests. I think. Yeah, yeah. Rob Zombie is obviously a little more interested in just sort of misfits type, you know, B movie shit. Uh, Manson went into sort of the occult direction much yeah. more. I mean, not seriously, because he was a from the Church of Satan, which is they don't actually believe in Satan. Yeah, yeah. but I mean that's his that's his shtick. Oh, and oh, Rob oh! Zombie is like uh, uh, Mar- uh, uh, Charles Manson is a musical. Well, of course. Oh, yeah, right, right. Literally, in this uh, interview with this uh, Empyrean magazine, he says that he's he's pissed at Axl Rose because Axl Rose stole his main inspiration, which was Charles Manson's album Lie. Um, one of the songs on which inspired Marilyn Manson's song My Monkey, which almost got them kicked off of Interscope. Um, so he was pissed because Axl Rose apparently then took some uh, Charles Manson. Game girl on the spaghetti incident. There you go. Um, so that's that's one. <laughs> that's one influence. I feel like he was probably just in that sort of Florida trash scene. It's yeah. hard to say, really, because uh, Portrait was produced by Trent Reznor, right? Uh, yes. So it just kind of sounds like a more ramshackle Nine Inch Nails. It's tough to say, like, what, mm-hmm. you know, without having access to, like, the demos or whatever. It's hard to say where, what else he might have sounded like. Right. You know? Is this the new Jack Johnson? It's not the new Jack Johnson. <laughs> I just figured we'd take a moment to appreciate the musical contributions of Charles Manson. Yeah. Is this the new uh, Ed Sheeran? Yeah. yeah. These are these are early Ed Sheeran de- demos. Yeah. God, that, that Ed is very talented. The funniest, the darkly funniest thing about Manson is how close he came to being like an actual... 60s music guy. Charles. Oh, what did I say? Marilyn Manson. Yeah, the the closest I that he came. Charles Manson came actually close to being like a 60s music guy. Uh, And if he had made it, then uh, none of those people would be dead. Mm, We don't. We don't actually know that. Who knows? (laughs) Who can say? See again, Marilyn Manson today would just be Karina Longworth. You must remember this. (laughs) Yes, Manson episodes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, I just opened the book to a random page trying to find his musical influences, and I found uh, an anecdote that I did not include in my show notes was uh, at one of his early shows, in an attempt to reiterate the lesson of Willy Wonka in his own style, he hung a donkey pinata over the crowd and put a stick on the edge of the stage. Then I would warn, please don't break this open. I beg you not to. Human psychology being what it is, kids in the crowd would invariably grab the stick and smash the pinata apart, forcing everyone to suffer the consequence, which in this case was a shower of cow brains, chicken livers and pig intestines from a disemboweled donkey. People would slam dance and slip on this massive now spoiled meat, cracking their heads open in a total intestinal freak out. God! I'm glad you missed that! Yeah, well, you know, that uh, just in terms of like 
stage shit and his name, mm. Alice Cooper. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and that kind of that the, the scary end of seventies glam. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. it's probably the most direct influence on him. I don't know how much he was talking about it at this point because I don't know how in vogue Bowie was yet. Yeah, but it's Bowie. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. right. Totally. Um, so yeah, that that's another anecdote he shares in that interview is the being pissed at Axl Rose. Um, he also shares an anecdote about everybody two, was. I love that everybody was like, shit. yeah, feuding with with Axl Rose for little or no reason. Well, you know, he was not 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 nice. Um, he he recounts a night when there were uh, girls uh, at an apartment that they were at who were uh, quote very nubile and ready to get fucked. Um, they partook in a contest to see who could receive an enema and hold it in the longest. Also, ban- I'm gonna ban nubile like from the. I don't it's, like to ban words, but there's no good connotation for nubile. No. It's always referring to underage women that you're gonna do something yes. horrible to. Yes, no more nubile. Ugh. That's just that's just a sampling of the, the the fuckery that he's sharing at this point. He around this time when uh, he's just, things are just starting to get big, he becomes an official Satanist. Uh, he accepts a reverendship. Uh, not really clear what what the actual position at the church is uh, from the founder of the Church of Satanism. Wait, uh, actual Levey himself? Levey or Levey, baby? Yep. They, wow. They There's hung a picture out. Of them, right? Yeah. yeah. He was summoned. Levey summoned him to his. Uh, to his zone, um, and, and he's got like that drill tweet where it's like, "Are you surprised to see me gaming in the bathtub? I'm a man of infinite pleasure." It's <laughs> like your summons from. <laughs> I write my own Mr. Bean skits. Uh, uh, thank you for upholding one of the hallmarks of this podcast, which is quoting drill tweets at each other. That's the best. Yeah, what, what can you say? Uh, Just the best. I love Levey because he is. In my mind, the exact perfect inverse mm-hmm. of L. Ron Hubbard, in which he is also a grifter, yes. but he is very forward about being a grifter, and being a grifter is kind of the point and the delight about it, and everybody around him is kind of in on him being a grifter, but also so delighted by the active grifting that they allow themselves to be grifted anyway. Absolutely. Uh, my partner, Julia Graffair, is a, a cartoonist of some renown. And I uh, run a Tumblr of sort of uh, sleazy satanic imagery called Le, Le Diable Amoureux. Ooh. <laughs> just hyphens in between. Yeah, just whatever. type that into your browser. Uh, sure, sure. Uh, Easy peasy. Um, and, you know, so often uh, pictures of uh, Anton and friends will wind up there. And it's always Anton just and like, friends. It was like the Muppet Babies. Yeah, it's of, always uh, like him and his, his awful goatee and like a <laughs> bunch of dimps. In robes, and then like a bunch of naked ladies, and they're all just like hooting and hollering, and like you know, everyone's kind of in on the joke with Satanism, you know, which is the point. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know? yeah. Whereas, yeah, like so it is. I, I thought the same exact same thing. He's like the anti Hubbard. Yeah, you know, which is a great, and it's also like the the anti religious aspect of it is it's like oh Catholicism where everyone's in on the joke too would be also Church of Satan Satanism. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, if you. <laughs> well, because yeah, it's all pageantry and, yeah, yeah. and spectacle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 
Right. right. But you're, you're all aware that the only thing it is there for is to reinforce the pageantry and spectacle of the thing that you are there for, which is to reinforce the yeah. pa- It's like, yeah, you, you get you get what you're you, there's no subterfuge in it. Yeah. The, the Ouroboros of pageantry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Uh, Manson says that he has uh, LeVay has a carny him. personality. Yes. Is how yes, he yes, describes yes, yes. it. Yeah. Uh yeah he's he's a grifter but he he respects the game because mm-hmm. of that um so this is around the same time that uh Marilyn Manson they're offered his band is offered ten thousand dollars to not open for Nine Inch Nails in Salt Lake City oh yeah um for reasons of ungodliness uh but instead uh he actually shows up during Nine Inch Nails set and he rips out pages of the Book of Mormon while saying he loves me he loves me not. <laughs> <laughs> Which is cute. That's just funny. That's just that's just good comedy right yeah, there. Yeah, it's adorable. Um then uh, I'm also imagining him in like a little sailor boy suit, uh just skipping around the stage, like with a big lolly in the book. He of loves Mormon. me. <laughs> he loves me not. I feel like that'd be a good outfit for Marilyn. He should try do like a little uh, sailor boy thing. Yeah, sailor. Ooh, yeah. You could pivot to that in his later you later just, age. You just see that. Gosh, um, he's arrested in uh, Jacksonville for allegedly jacking off with a strap-on dildo and urinating on the crowd. That's the official charge. Um, he gets booked. The cops do a cavity search. They parade him around the precinct, taking pictures of him um, before he gets out on bail. So he's officially like a wanted man for his his crimes of being. Uh, provocative and he says he discovers what happens when you say something powerful that makes people think they neutralize your message by giving you a label that is not open to interpretation as a fascist a devil worshiper or an advocate of rape or violence so he's saying that his his whole message is being fucked with by people who are accusing him of the things that he is not but do you think he got off by being humiliated by the cops (laughs) I don't know I don't know if that's his kink I don't think he likes being humiliated. Cops he didn't like it cops at all. Are, cops are scary, man. Yeah. yeah that's true. I, I, I would imagine he didn't know how that was going to end up. Yeah. He said it could have been worse. He he made some silly joke. I can't remember. That's interesting because I was thinking that this was going to go the same way as Eminem, uh, where the more he is uh, told why he is bad, the more he becomes the thing bad that he is being told he is. Yeah. Uh, as a form of like, uh, taking it back and, and, and redirection, but it sounds like he's bristling at at people defining what he is doing in terms that he does not uh, like, rather than becoming more powerful. Yeah, on it. I think it's because he's dealing with maybe larger, deeper messages than Eminem was at least at the very beginning where he's talking about God and religion and mortality no. and sexuality no, and Eminem man. was basically just ta- he was doing a lot of I stuff about really hate my wife man. yeah exactly yeah. No, so when a, he's you know I think he does ta- we just talked about Satanism and not taking yourself seriously but I do think he does take himself seriously as a person and as an artist yeah oh for sure for sure because I, I, I think there's there's always this you know this element of the sort of outcast weirdo intellectual kid with him mm-hmm. and uh you know i kind of recognize that and 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 i'm sh- like i've always gotten a sense from manson's interviews like as funny as he can be and as obnoxious as he can be and as like deliberately provocative as he can be mm-hmm. he does seem to generally want to speak for that kind of kid yeah um you know i remember even in bowling for columbine which yeah, i'm not even it's sure a great interview. Actually, right you know he's like you know they were like what would you say to the columbine 
you know, those, uh, what's, what's their names? Dylan know. and, yeah. and Eric, right? Yeah. It's like, I wouldn't say anything. I would listen. And like, mm-hmm. what you don't necessarily need to empathize or sympathize with the, the, the Columbine kids to the murderers that is, um, mm-hmm. to appreciate how, like what, what he was getting at and what he was connecting with. Yeah. Um, I don't know, this got really serious all of a sudden. Yeah, well, it's serious shit. I mean, you see what happens when you go from being, like, alienated, but, you know, there's hope for kind of connection with other people in the future, or alienated and there isn't. There's that, that's the difference between, you know, someone who does a school shooting and someone who doesn't. And I'll also say that the difference between Manson and also Trent Reznor and then someone like... Like Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, who also did like <laughs> big shock rock arena makeup bullshit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like Manson and Reznor seem like really miserable, at least for a while. <laughs> yeah, and like and 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 and, and self destructive and and just upset in a way, you know. Whereas Gene Simmons is just like, I'm just gonna cruise through life and just be like the worst non murderer you've ever met. You know? <laughs> it's, a, it's a different it's a different mindset. Yeah. As gross and kind of inexcusable as some of the shit Manson does in this book is, like I do think there's a heart to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. And I think if he was just straight up just a bad person with no you know, something else to redeem him. Maybe not redeem is the right word, but we, I don't think anyone would pay attention to him at all. Right. right. Or they would, but he would be written off to a far larger degree than he is. Or he'd be like Gigi Allen or something where it's just like (laughs) a bad man who does bad things and is then like kind of a novelty or a footnote. Right. Mm -hmm. Manson had the tunes though. Yeah. I'll say this for him. He had the tunes too. Yeah. Yes. Gigi did not have the tunes. (laughs) Late Kevin Allen didn't have the range. Did not have, no, he did not have the range. <laughs> Allen did Does not Marilyn Manson have the range? <laughs> well, uh, he kind of does one thing and does it over and over, but it's a good thing. Like yeah. all of his main singles are good. We'll get we'll get to more of them in the second. because yeah. I, I can't wait to listen to some of these other hits. Yes. Um, so in 1995, uh, the band goes on tour with Danzig. Uh, all hell breaks loose. Essentially, uh, Marilyn Manson says they become wretched, exhausted, empty containers. <laughs> Uh, their Same. ringleader is Danzig's bus driver, Tony Wiggins. Uh, Tony Wiggins, among other things, I mean, it, it, it goes without saying, like, there's so many dr- there's just so much drug use going on kind of in the background of this book. Um, it almost doesn't seem like it's worth mentioning, but I guess it is, is that, like, there's, you know, this is all done on a, a giant piles of cocaine. Right. Um, cocaine is the drug of choice here? Kind of, yeah. Not they're not heroin people. But. I feel like heroin that's, people always kind of fall out of the band, if I recall. Yes, correctly. like the hero, he always kind of casts the heroin people aside and is like, "We're cocaine people yes. in this band." Absolutely, and he he seems to judge. He had an early bandmate who I think he might have kicked down. I can't remember his name, but he was a junkie, and he was like, he morally judged him for being a heroin addict because he thought that made you like lazy and bad at things, yeah. and like you know, coke makes you so fun and you know interesting. So yeah, that's that's his. Just imagine everything that he's saying. Just imagine there's a lot of. I feel like it's always important to establish what the 
predominant drug of the the scene or the book is right because it really puts you in the the mind state of what's right. going on right he has um he has these very charming but also of course ridiculous rules about um drugs homosexuality and cheating um that he shares with us so for drugs you consider yourself an addict if you actually pay for drugs if you use, <laughs> if you use the word That's blow if you own more than one pink floyd record <laughs> um if you're friends with a model <laughs> really like if you live in new orleans you're a drug addict um, if you uh do drugs before 6 p.m. or after 6 a.m., which I think is Ooh, a, that's like actually that. a good yeah, one. Yeah. Um, the nighttime is the right time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're an addict if you hate everybody. If you like everybody, you're on ecstasy and I hate you. <laughs> um, if you've ever said, this is my last line, or conversely, which line is the biggest? <laughs> wow, those are fucking great. It- yeah, these are, these are gold. Oh, uh, but another good one. If you're a child actor, uh, <laughs> and if you are, um, if you say, I only do this when I'm with you. Oh, man. <laughs> Those are honestly phenomenal rules for moderate drug use. Rock solid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't own any Pink Floyd albums, so I'm, I'm yeah, good. Yeah, you're in the clear. I'm good. You, you have up to one more that you can get. So the, the homosexuality ones are a little bit weirder because, like, it's not hard to also read these as just being homophobic. Um you know, he says if you if you have if you've ever worn a beret, you're gay. Um, if you've ever owned a Smiths album, if Michael if Michael Stipe is in the room with you and you're having sex with a woman, you're bisexual. <laughs> um, I feel like that happened to a lot of people yeah. in the nineties, oddly. Yeah. And uh yeah, it probably wouldn't have been a rule in the book if that wasn't yeah. like a, a trope. If you um this is the to me, the funniest one is if you fuck a pregnant woman and she's carrying a boy, you're gay. <laughs> That's what he's like. So, you know, some of these is like uh, ra- ragging on the Smiths for being quote unquote gay is like, it's pretty dated and dumb uh, at this point. Yeah. But uh, I think that pregnant having sex with a, a pregnant woman, that's just, it's just good. Um, oh, God. <laughs> See, like some of the stuff is like, it's very funny, but also like, oh, it's, this, it's so it's, wrong. <laughs> It's dated. Yeah. Yes, dated yeah. is is quite right. Oh, anyway, where are we? The pregnant woman joke, I could also kind of imagine being taught as like a transliteration of some joke that came from like a, <laughs> like a Greek play or something. Of like somebody would describe you so, uh, a line from like the clouds or something and be like, right. see what he's really saying here is, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah. Anyway, he's they're on tour with Danzig. Uh, they're hanging out with Tony Wiggins. Tony Wiggins has the the idea to videotape fan confessions, um, the like backstage, you know, before and after shows. Uh, it's a therapeutic exercise that goes awry when Manson hears his fans' harrowing experiences of abuse, rape, and incest. Mm. So it's like this idea that oh, we're just going to hear our friend or our, our, our fans say shocking, weird stuff, but it actually ends up being really like emotionally draining uh, for everyone, including Marilyn Manson. One fan begs Marilyn Manson to kill her. She's like, I want to die. Um, and he's like, whoa, 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 how did we get here? He's like, he doesn't feel like he's actually able to help these people. Um, and I think it's it's the moment in the book where he like reckons w- with the idea of like who his fans are because they're like, they're people with 
problems and like fucked up pasts and emotional like issues and i think he's like whoa i didn't realize that real people are fans of my music you know what i mean yeah totally i mean his contemporary and uh, sort of fellow uh trent Reznor, let's just say associate mm-hmm. be euphemistic about the nature of the relationship <laughs> was tori amos who also attracted a uh, fan base with a lot of trauma yeah. in their collective past. Um, and, you know, she established Rain, the, you know, mm-hmm. the Rape and Incest National Network, you know, and it's like still to this day, does a lot of uh, help for victims and survivors and such. Um, that was not, Mar- Marilyn Manson was never going to do that. No. Yeah. Yeah. The closest he could do was like do some weird, weird fan confessions before. His shows, well, it's interesting. which were like I guess proposed for titillation, but ended up being something quite different. Right, that it seems like he's very consciously at, at like broadcasting to that kind of people that he he wants to identify with the weirdos of an, an outcast, but when it becomes uh, real in any way, it's like too intense for this man who bills himself as a master of intensity. Mm. Right. Um, I think uh, also he, you know, he says too that like his childhood was not fun, but also not as bad as some of the ones described. Yeah, it sounds like it's a boring, uh, vaguely religious Ohioan childhood. You live in Ohio, you hate your parents, and you want to just listen to rock and roll and smoke some joints. Grandpa Dildo had a funny basement. That's (laughs) as bad as it got for him. (laughs) That sounds like a, you know... E-I-E-I-O. Mm-hmm. Grandpa, Grandpa Dildo had a funny basement. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> um, so the band moves to New Orleans. Uh, they record some songs that uh, Marilyn Manson really likes, but Trent doesn't like. Uh, so they go back to the drawing board and put together the Disaster uh, Smells Like Children EP. Do you like Smells Like Children? Disaster? He does not. He did not advocate for his own record here. He thought well, it was not good. I think probably in retrospect it was something that they rushed out to take advantage of his newfound notoriety mm-hmm. because half of it is like remixes. Half of it is weird like little remixes. vignettes um, with like, uh, you know, Tony F. Wiggins saying the words say fuck Frankie over and over. No. Frankie Proyo was like their tour manager. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was it was like weird little found recording snippets from when they were on Donahue. Yeah. And said that moshing is a sign of what Christians would call the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then, and then, the, and that's covers. Yeah. And that's it. Did they do Sweet Dreams? Sweet Dreams yeah. was on that. And um, I put a spell on you and a Patti Smith song whose title I won't say. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that one. Yep. You can look it up in the liner notes, I assume, after. I was aware of this cover in the Sweet Dreams. This was yeah. the big. This made them. This, this, this is what this really broke them. I think this yeah. is their most played song on Spotify. Yep. We can check that out right now. It also it is. Has, yeah. It also created like a whole trend of like, you know, bands that, that led to like uh, what the fuck, Alien Ant Farm doing. Uh, Ooh yeah yeah. Criminal. Criminal. That was a big hit. Hot. Yeah. See, is this also like the antecedent of the? Was this what you were going to say? Of the like creepy uh, children's choir cover? It is. Yes. yes, it is. <laughs> oh man! I was going to say that. Again, Marilyn Manson again, years ahead of his time. Yeah. Um, we've been joking about how. Uh, <laughs> well, this is in a few minutes, minutes of this or seconds. Of this. I mean, it's good. 
It's a good cover. Although my favorite of their covers is uh, it's on the Lunchbox single. Yeah. It's uh, Down in the Park, Gary Newman, which the Foo Fighters also did for the X-Files. Wow. Yep. It kind of simplifies all the stuff in uh, Sweet Dreams that I really like. Although, you like, like those synths? Yeah, those <laughs> big, goofy synth lines. I mean, I guess I like that he's using like the envelope filter guitar to mock... I just like that it takes the the like sort of BDSM nature yeah. Yeah, and yeah. like makes it. One thing we talked about a lot is like from the late '90s on, like subtext just becomes text. Yep. Where like there's no you know hidden meaning or like subtle tones. It's like this is this is what it is. It does effectively invert the song from something that could be like a plead for love to like something creepy and uh, I am being uh, used and abused. Right. Yeah. We've been joking about uh, for those creepy children's covers of classic songs that pervade uh, trailers for horror and uh, drama and thriller movies these days of imagining <laughs> one that's, uh, you know, as the strings swell in and. Um, the 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 trailer reaches its climax. You just hear the choir, children's choir in the background go. The finger buses come. <laughs> the finger boys are coming. Who wants to party? We like we like to party. Hey, if they can turn. If they can turn the ride Pirates of the Caribbean into a like billion dollar movie franchise, they can turn the concept of the Vangabus into a, movie. a horror movie. Yeah. So if anyone wants to do that, Jeepers Creepers Four, the Vangabus, the Vangabus. J- Julia, my uh, again, my partner Julia, her version of that is the uh, Oh Wow. That's so good. There's like a canted shot down like an abandoned asylum hall or something, whatever trope is going through that. That's good. I will say, in all seriousness, about the Sweet Dreams cover is uh, I think the thing that made an impression on people besides the video, which is uh, it may have been Floria Sigismondi. Mm-hmm. who uh, has done a lot of stuff since then. Um, you know, where he's covered in, like, candle wax and bird shit, and, you know, he's got all the weird yeah, yeah. makeup, and his band looks really fucked up, too. Is uh, He had that great, like, that's a really good rock and roll voice. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially if you figure, like, you're in the, 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 the sort of shadow of Kurt Cobain. Um, Twiggy was actually dating Courtney Love secretly for a long time. Interesting. Yep. And, uh, and, and that kind of, like, croak... Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't think you don't, you never you wouldn't think Marilyn Manson and Kurt Cobain. Oh, they have similar singing voices, but like mm-hmm. that's the as soon as you say it, I like yeah, I can yeah. very much hear it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Back back to this crazy 1995 Empyrean magazine interview because they they talk about uh, Twiggy having like a secret relationship with Courtney Love, um, and Twiggy is in this interview very briefly. But the only thing he says is, "I need whiskey and speed." <laughs> so like. <laughs> Uh, Marilyn says, like, Twiggy can probably tell you more uh, about Courtney because he had an undocumented, undisclosed relationship with her afterwards. And the interviewer says, is that true, Twiggy? And Twiggy says, it's true that I need whiskey and speed. (laughs) 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 It's the only thing he says. Anyway, Um, anything else? Any other faves on Smells Like Children? Um, I I did like the Patti Smith cover a lot. Um, 
uh, oh, uh, the I put a spell on you was used, I think, to really, really strong effect in Lost Highway. Okay. The David Lynch oh, movie from the late 90s uh, with a, a troubling scene involving Patricia Arquette and Robert Loggia. Yeah. Um, I love that movie. I think it's probably before Twin Peaks season three was my favorite Lynch thing. Mm. You know? It's a good, strong contender for secret best Lynch thing. Cause everybody yeah. will do like Mah- Mahal, Mahal drive, drive or blue velvet or something, right. but it's, it's right up there in the, the top of yeah. uh, Lynch's work. And that movie is crazy. Yep. Manson's in it. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. It's like, yeah, yeah. And Twiggy is in it too. And, uh, it's, Part of uh, Manson's brief and incredibly, even for Manson's strange acting career, because it's yeah. like one Lynch film and also one episode of Californication. Yeah. And he has a song uh, in it called Apple of Sodom, which is about how he wanted to have sex with Fiona Apple. <laughs> oh, um, boy. Which I always thought was like sort of the junior varsity version of Trent Reznor and Tori Amos secretly dating. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh, my God. The, the B side. Right. <laughs> Oh man, that's pretty good. I mean, it. This is more just like a referendum on David Lynch being awesome that he yeah. like picks picks these guys in this thing to be yeah. in his. And I know people who have complaints about that movie that it's like the super nineties of it. Yeah, dates it, but I, I don't know. I dig it. I like that. I like that it's not like a. It's not rooted in the fifties like so much of his other stuff is. Like, I think it's interesting to have this outlier where it's like. Mm-hmm. All kind of, you know, weird bangs and. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? All of us. I mean, not to make this up. Suddenly Lynch cast, and I. I mean, I'm not caught up on it. Suddenly but... Lynch cast. It's the it's podcast within a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I haven't. I haven't even seen like all of Twin Peaks season three, which I will eventually. I know it's very good, um, but I feel like all of his stuff is always in rooted in the uh, like 50s stuff but always in conversation with with what's going on around him at that time yeah you know yeah uh he doesn't do things in a vacuum even though his like total creative uh steamrollerness over all of his material uh can make it seem that way right it's his own i mean even stuff like dune is like in conversation with star wars but also you know whatever else is going on in in lynch world yeah i really really like dune yeah dune fucking rules yeah we gotta watch Dune sometime. Dune. Um, will you will you look up um, on the internet? Uh, Dilly dally, know yourself. I just want to show that Marilyn Manson is actually quite advanced in this sort of uh, creating, you know, sort of raw id like covers of things. Um, this is just another, you know, this is a, a punk band covering a Drake song because I feel like Marilyn Manson might have been one of the first people to just like also do that cross genre thing where you can make a a song that is quite unlike the original song but make it good and raw and hardcore because you don't hear this in Drake. I get it for the last Marilyn cover that we listened to reminded me of this a lot. This is very Mansonian, right? Yeah. yeah. This, is, this is a good call. This is... The Tom, the Tom Tom drums. It's been where you find me yet. Running through the six with my 
This is so yeah, this Marilyn Manson. This is very Manson. Marilyn Manson. Good call. Yeah, yeah. The it's sort funny of because like, screaming break. In the intervening two decades, this kind of cover has become almost cliche. That yes. it's like something that any like up and co- hungry up and coming band can like pull out one of these kind of covers to be like a novelty that can may- that maybe will get passed around yeah. and like. And then they'll listen to your actual music. music. I remember when Faith Faith No More came out with an EP called Songs to Make Love By, and it had a super straightforward cover of Easy by Lionel Richie. Sure. (laughs) And and they were like, why did you do it that way? And they were like, we heard all these bands doing covers that made the songs into jokes. They were just like, we thought it would be funnier if we just did it, (laughs) just did a straight up cover of That's amazing. Yep. Mike Patton always zigging where other people zag. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Um, they include they include a, an anecdote in this book that's so uh, monumental that they sort of kind of pull back and break the fourth wall of memoir writing where they just use like a transcript, which I guess is between Neil Strauss and Marilyn Manson. And he says, do you want to talk about the meat incident today? <laughs> and he says, OK. Um, so, like, I'm, I just want to preface I'm right, this. I'm ready. I'm in the right mental state. I just want to preface this and just be like, I just think this is, like, super fucked up. This and is, is, this like cool. a, is this, like, content warning? Well, it's a content warning in a way um, because, like, there's, there's like, there's ableism involved. There's, like, kind of garden variety I mean, it's misogyny. Just like, it's just, like, regular gross. But it's also just regular gross. I don't know what this is at all. I've this not- is, like, the Godfather baptism murder montage of rock memoir. Oh, like, great. You, you, <laughs> We are about to hit like both the peak and the nadir yes. of the entire genre in there this anecdote. Go. Um, so I'll just kind of try to summarize it or uh, give you the, the greatest hits. So he says, the first time I met Alyssa was at the last show that Brad Stewart played in our band. It was a showcase that we blah, 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 whatever. She came backstage and she was a short girl with blonde hair, cute. She had a pretty face, but most noticeably, notably, she was big breasted, just huge tits. A girl that you'd probably see at a Warrant concert by the way she dressed and the way she acted. I immediately realized that she was deaf because of the way her voice sounded. I also just don't, I don't like describing people as whatever. Uh, she told me that she could feel the music when she's close to the stage and that's how she gets her enjoyment from it. Um, so she meets, meets her a year later. They come, uh, they like run into this girl again. Um, she comes into the studio where they're recording, uh, to break the ice. I usually say whatever's on my mind in the hopes that it will make everyone (laughs) laugh or that someone will actually follow through with it. That's a pretty, um, solid description of like who Marilyn Manson is as a person. (laughs) Um, so I said, why don't you take off all your clothes? And she laughed and she took off all our clothes and she only had her boots on. We were all shocked and amazed that we were commanding that much sexual power and that there was a naked deaf girl in the studio. Uh, Neil Strauss asks, how was she able to understand what you were saying? She was a flawless lip reader, a skill she had obviously accumulated from years spent in the front row of heavy metal concerts, learning the lyrics to shitty songs like Fuck Like a Beast. Um, which brings me to, among us. Which brings me to the meat at hand, since I was with the author of the recent heavy metal refrain, I Want to Fuck You Like an Animal. Um, so he's with Trent. Earlier that day, we had collected a wide variety of meats, big round pieces of meat that had the bone in the center, hot dogs, cheese dogs, salami, sausage, bacon, 
bacon, chitlins, pig's feet, chicken feet, chicken legs, chicken breast, chicken wings, chicken gizzards, all in cooked meats. So we constructed a meat helmet made out of a large ham with pieces of bacon, sausage, sausage links, and things like that suspended from it. A meat mobile. We crowned her with a meat helmet. And I took some, I can't even do this. I took some pimento loaf to cover her nipples. And we put several slices of bologna on her back. That day, we all definitely earned backstage passes in hell. Uh, before all that began, I had put on yellow latex gloves, basically because I didn't want to handle the salami. Uh, no other reason. We had one half hour of pure meat cavorting, meat handling, working with meat, meat cuddling, meat shenanigans. Neil Strauss says, we could call this chapter Meeting the Fans. <laughs> Marilyn Manson says, I was also thinking of meet and greet. Um, I mean, it, it gets, oh, oh God, it, it gets, does someone else want to continue this maybe? Where, where am I starting? Start here. All right, all right, all right. This is the first time I've read uh, from the memoirs on this show, by the way. Yeah. You, you will get to a line, and when you get to it, you will know it is time to, to, to hang up. You'll know it when you see it. All right, great, great, great. Uh, I just can't. Do Strauss it. comments uh, on uh, Marilyn's pun "meet and greet." That's good. So go on. <clears throat> we documented this in all sorts of ways: pencil sketches, photography, videotape, whatever way we could capture the great moment in art history. At this point, I didn't think it was very sexual. It was more of a living meat sculpture. Oh my god! What happened next was the result of me always trying to escalate everything to the next level. I. Asked Twiggy and Pogo to scotch tape their penises together to see. Not even the line yet. To see if she could put two penises in her mouth at the same time. But it turned out that they couldn't. I mean, I could predict that. Uh, that seems like a hard biological uh, trick to function, uh, anatomical trick to function, uh. to, to pull out. But it turned out that they couldn't, so that, uh, couldn't stand next to each other to create that. So they had to face their dicks in front to front, and it became kind of a penis tug of war. She sort of licked it uh, like some sort of dick harmonica. Oh my god! Some giant dick harmonica. Oh I forgot god. about dick harmonica. <laughs> yeah, that could be its own anecdote. But yeah. sadly, it's sandwiched in this meat story. Uh, <laughs> that's when all the trouble started to break out. That's when. That's because right. that's was when we decided Pogo should get to live out his fantasy and have sex with the death girl. So he put on a condom. Hold on. How did he separate himself from Twiggy? She gnawed through the tape like a rat looking for a piece of cheese. And then Pogo <laughs> put his condom on, which made his dick look like a chitlin. Oh then he God. started to fuck her from behind, which was appropriate uh, because she had a dog leash on at the time and was holding the leash. So he's shouting all these obscenities at her. I should mention that I do not feel that she was being exploited by any means because despite however many cameras, street musicians, and sketch artists were in the room clapping and dancing to Slayer or whatever was playing at wait, the time. Wait, 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 hold on. I thought that like Marilyn Manson was doing the sketches, but he pulled in like a cartoonist from the street in New Orleans. Okay. Okay, great, great, great. Uh, at least it's being documented for posterity. Oh my god. Um uh, dancing around a slayer or whatever was playing at the time. She was very excited to be part of it. I think she, too, found it to be art 
and was having a good time. Everybody was having a good time, except for the guys in Nine Inch Nails who were keeping their distance. Mm. Trent Reznor being like, look, buddy, I'm in here for the sincere music production nerdery. I'm going to win a fucking Oscar one day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to soundtrack a... A Ken, a Ken Burns, Burns documentary. documentary. I don't want to be involved in this. <laughs> Look, buddy, this is going to go on your permanent record. Uh. Uh, while all this was happening, Pogo said something, and we might not want to mention it because it's pretty offensive. Is this what we're looking for? You bet. Yep. Uh, uh, Neil, go ahead. We can always take it out of the book if you want. It's, they didn't. It's in the book. As is the line, we can take it out of the book if you want. <laughs> Answer. He shouted... I'm going to come in your useless ear canal. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it seemed to echo through the room as maybe one of the darkest (laughs) things we had ever heard. At that point, I felt that what I did with the baby Jesuses paled in comparison. Oh, yeah. He pulled some prank with, like, swapping out baby Jesuses for ham. Hams. Like, in a nativity scene. It's fine. (laughs) That's That's, that's, That's funny. That's that's just comedy. That's JV in comparison to this shit. Uh, meat, meat mobile. Then what happened was that Alyssa wanted to take a shower because she was covered in meat slime and assorted bodily fluids from the out, act of filth. So since she was going in the shower anyway, I asked, can we urinate on you? What she said next was probably darker and more profound than what Pogo had said. She said, just not on my boots. And we all looked at each <laughs> other like how you just look at me. Wow. At least she had some sort of morals. Uh, and then... Adding icing to the cake, or dressing to the meat in this case, she told us, and don't get it in my eyes, it burns. Obviously, she had experience in these matters. Uh Uh-huh. So she got in the circle stall, in the shower stall, and the camera crew watched while Twiggy and I put one leg in the stall and one leg in the toilet and hosed her down in urine. She just kind of sat there, delighted, and splashing her breasts as pieces of meat flaked away from the pressure of the urine. Oh, my God. Then what happened was that Twiggy's aim went in the wrong course, and... Hit her face, hit her in the face, and that was when everyone else in the room completely shut down and realized things had gone too far. That's when things had gone too far. Well, that's because when they violated her one rule. Well, that's true. That that is true. How do you feel? Because I feel weird. Look, that sounds like a con- consensual meat orgy to me. So I don't know what the big deal is. Yeah, I don't. Oh my god, the ear canal line though—that's dark. And Marilyn Marinson recognizes it. That has, that, that's the one. I mean, obviously, that's the line in this book that stuck with me. Yeah. Since I read this book <laughs> 19 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said for, like, using sex as, like, a race to the fucking bottom. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you're just like, we're going to do and say the most fucked up, repugnant shit you can think of, and it's going to be fun and awesome, and it's we're going to walk space. away. It's a safe space. It's a safe space. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which is sort of what it was for this woman, yeah. it seems, if you take everything that they say, you know, at face value. Yeah. But, you know, at the point where he's, like, you know, effectively mocking her disability. Yes. If that was something mm-hmm. that she was in on yeah and like you know okay i'm gonna i'm gonna sort of weaponize isn't the right word because you're you're making it in theory pleasurable yeah. but that kind of thing i'm gonna i'm gonna take something that um is seen by society as a disability mm-hmm. and i'm gonna use it uh for my own you know i'm gonna take control of it and use it to have a good time with right. like some rock stars or whatever and like that's one thing to participate to, in your own like depravity, right? Sure, As sure. opposed to have it happen behind your back, right? I then, think you're putting the yeah. a fine point on like what what bugged me about this. Right, scene. right. It's like it's 
it would be like it's it's the it's like a, the much worse thing of like putting the rabbit ears behind someone's head uh, when they're taking a picture. It's like mm-hmm. you know, I mean right. we do, we don't get it from her perspective, uh, which makes all the difference because uh, you know as you're both saying if she's into this, which it you know it sounds like from the brief she was character. down for the meat helmet. Yeah, from the brief char- brief characterization that we get of her, it seems like she is happy right. to be doing weird shit with rock guys mm-hmm. uh and this definitely qualifies as weird shit with rock, rock guys uh and then she the fact that she consented to do more i.e the piss shower makes me think that through it all she's like yeah and even that she consented to do the piss shower and then set limits in the piss shower mm-hmm. implies that everything that comes before that is like within her realm of of I am a participant, not, not a subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how I read that scenario. As gross and depraved <laughs> as it is, the Gosh. detail of the of the meat flaking off from the pressure. Yeah, of the urine. Oh, so that's something. that's that's yeah, that's a that's an image. That is. That's I'm also visceral. just imagining what like the shower complex connected to this recording studio is like. Just imagine the physical spaces involved with this, like this meat-soaked studio. It, it was a funeral home, I believe. Is of where course, they it was. Oh, sure, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah. That faint smell of formaldehyde well, just uh, I had, infusing through the air. I had a buddy from New Orleans who's like, uh, who's like, had an uncle who owned the bar that they would all go to because it was this weird hot spot. For oh like, my god! Yeah, for Manson and Nine Inch Nails and Pantera, I guess is who it was okay. at the time. The and, only client. And they would go, the yeah, they would go to strip clubs and the funeral home and the bar, and that's all that they would do. <laughs> And, uh, that is like honestly the perfect three intersection of locations to describe Marilyn Manson's music. Yep, is strip club, <laughs> uh, strip club, dive bar, funeral, funeral home, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, we haven't said it, but his songs are great goth stripper songs. Yep, who they are, all have like who very saying, strong backbeats. Yes, who are you saying um, uh, said that they needed that you got to make music for the strippers? Oh, who said that? Cardi B? I don't know. Probably was it Manson? <laughs> yes, I can't remember. Probably you were. I think you were quoting it. Manson to me. Yeah, saying that you that you got to make music for the strippers, which mm-hmm. I think is a uh, appropriate yes thing at any time. Right. Well, he had a kind of glam indebted bump and grind kind of you know that kind of shuffle. Yeah, it's it's dirty and purposely so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you know the perfect strip club song that you're doing a bad thing, you're watching a bad thing, and you should feel bad about it. Right. <laughs> but good about feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah. So they're they're trying to record an album, but the situation is totally disintegrating. There's a lot of drugs. Uh, this is around the time that Marilyn Manson smokes bone fragments that he harvested from a graveyard in New Orleans. He's trying to freak out some like posers in town from L.A. So he he smokes some bones and has them smoke the bones too, and they get violently ill. Um, I won't get into that, but that reminds me of my favorite internet drama of two years ago. The Tumblr. The Tumblr witch drama? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's, let's Should have we, uh, a get into quick it? kiki about this. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I believe in 2015 there was notable uh, drama among witch Tumblr. Uh, not witch Tumblr. Tumblr for uh, spellcasting witches. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in which... Uh, <laughs> in which somebody was it's like uh, who's on first? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in which, which, which you're your Tumblr, which Tumblr, the witch Tumblr, yeah, the witch Tumblr. Uh, 
uh, in which somebody had described uh, walking around uh, precincts in New Orleans and seeing a cemetery in which bone fragments, because uh, New Orleans ground is very wet, uh, had risen to the surface and uh, seeing these literal bone fragments fragments uh, aren't there around. also just very shallow graves? Yeah, shallow graves well. because if you because if you dig too deep, you hit water. Yeah, um, it had floated to the top, and uh, this practicing witch had uh, collected some of these bone fragments that were just again sitting around on the ground in public land uh, in this public graveyard and taking them home to use her uh, uh, in her home spells, and this created a huge uh controversy among witch tumbler as if this was appropriation if because these bones fat fragments were available they would uh have necessarily been to lower uh class people who cannot afford the mausoleum burials that are po- popular in new orleans mm-hmm. uh that keep your bones from washing up to the roof so they were probably um oppressed people of some kind whether people of color or something uh, yeah like it became a weird intersection of uh witchcraft class and race uh internet debates um and just a general outrage for a uh, found human bone usage. Do you remember what internet. it was nicknamed? What? Bonegazi. Bonegazi. Yeah. Oh wow. Just don't rob graves. I feel like it's pretty <laughs> like you don't even need to get into like the like the complex socio-political ramifications yes. of it like, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, who was like <laughs> an extravagant racist, even by the standards of his day, was like, "It's fucked up if you rob graves. Don't rob graves." But he had wrote stories about it for Christ's sake, yeah. about it how it will drive you to madness. Yeah, despair. don't rob graves. Just the, it's like a pretty hard, you know. Oh my just, god, that's that's a line in the sand. You know, uh, El, El Woods in Legally Blonde says, "Don't don't wash your hair after you had a perm," and. You know, don't rob graves. It's just like simple rules mm-hmm. for dating my teenage daughter. Yeah, don't rob graves. <laughs> don't rob graves. Uh, we can all learn. Don't stuff. own more than one Pink Floyd album. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of rules that are being both. I mean, uh, set and broken, and to, yeah. to like a, like a bone uh, to uh, bring us back to something earlier. Uh, a lot of rules, just like the Church of Satan. Church of Satan loves yep. putting rules down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll try to link to Bongazi, one of the Bongazi write-ups in the show notes on this because it's a, a truly phenomenal internet uh, controversy. Yeah, well, Marilyn Manson was was stealing bones long before Again, it was way cool. ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah. way ahead of his time, smoking um, bones. So no, no one wants to be recording. Uh, at this point, like everyone's just kind of lost their minds. People are microwaving sound equipment. Uh, people are throwing sound equipment out of windows. Um, Trent is being distant. Uh, Twiggy Ramirez quits the band entirely. Uh, and Marilyn's girlfriend, Missy, uh, is, you know, they're on the rocks. Um, yeah, he's had a like, semi long term girlfriend during this time. Not that it makes any bit of difference. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't think they are, you know, monogamous though. It's not like he's talking about cheating. I think it's just like, Things are wild. Um, anyway, this is so it's, the, things kind of bubble up to the surface. Uh, one night, Marilyn does too much cocaine and he goes to the hospital. Uh, he has like an irregular heartbeat when he's not on drugs, so this exacerbated it. Uh, so he needs to go cold turkey off cocaine. Uh, this is a, in 1998. I think we've all figured out. Like since then, he's he's returned to the sweet the sweet mother, <laughs> the sweet white mother. Um, so he like he doesn't go to rehab. I think he just stops doing drugs. Uh, and he 
despite losing like his, the cl- people who were closest to him, um, and he's experienced the thing that he hates the most, which is betrayal. Like he <laughs> hates being betrayed by his his friends and his romantic people, which I think maybe dates back to getting crabs when he lost his virginity. I think that's Ooh, a deep seated, yeah. uh, you know, mistrust there. But he manages to finish recording the album, which becomes Antichrist Superstar, um, and his confidence has grown. So he says, as the drugs drained out of my system, humanity. Tears, love, hate, self-respect, guilt was rushing back to me, but not the same way I'd remembered. My weaknesses had become my strengths. My ugliness had become beauty. My apathy to the world had become a desire to save it. I began to believe in myself. I'd preached it all the time in my music, but had I ever practiced it? Uh, Antichrist Superstar came out uh, at number three on the charts, which is kind of like, that's an insane thing. He says, I was... Bigger than rock clubs, bigger than backstabbing, bigger than most of the musicians I used to idolize. To some people, I was even bigger than Satan. And that's how he, like, leaves the book. Womp womp. Yeah. Amazing. He uh, leaves on a, on a high. Super well, on a high. let's um, take this moment to appreciate the high that he left us on. Because, uh, again, this was a music that I, I wrote off as a kid as a niche. But, my God. Is the beautiful people a fucking yeah, a, world class banger? Yep, it is yep. banger. Uh, so, given all the stuff that he's going through and his like <laughs> communication between like trying to just be irreverent for like irreverence sake or not, and it's kind of striking to me how little he talks about uh, music and the musical influences of it because this song is very good music. Yeah, um, he certainly provided something. Amazing. Yeah, there are just like so many parts to this song yeah. that are good. And if he wasn't interested in the music of it, there's so many parts that he could... I mean, I guess this is probably like Trent, a yeah. lot of Trent just like looking at this guy as like raw personality and like putting music on top of right. him. Well, I think, I mean, those both of them are studio heads. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, as volatile as they were at the time, like... He never shook that. Like, you know, Trent at his worst recorded The Downward Spiral and The Fragile, two of like the most elaborately recorded and produced records of the decade, you know? <laughs> so, like, if you, like, I remember, um, uh, I'm not gonna remember what the name of it was, but uh, Nine Inch Nails came out with like a concert video that you could get. You know, uh-huh. it was like a double, mm-hmm. it was a double cassette, like VHS cassette. Or one half was like concert footage and one half was just like a compendium of their videos at the time. Mm. And like the absolute, like, leave it all out on the fucking floor uh, depravity of that tour mm-hmm. of them and Manson and the Jim Rose Circus sideshow. <laughs> uh, like, it was, I remember showing it to, I had seen it. And I remember showing it to like a good friend of mine in college who uh, loved both bands but had not gotten to see them. Mm-hmm. And was just like, he was horrified. He's like, I've never seen, like, they're assaulting each other on stage, let alone the back. There's a whole like five minute sequence in that video where it's just like, like the guys from Nine Inch Nails and Marilyn Manson and Jim Rose like just destroying things. It's yeah. just like, what can we find to break in this room? And yeah. just breaking, you know, with baseball bats and just like. It's like Spinal Tap, but for real, you know, and just, <laughs> and, and, and the, you know, there was, they kept the kind of 
you know, NC-17 stuff to a minimum, I guess. Yeah. But, like, they were really kind of, you know, just not, did not have a lot of self-respect, these people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, they were, they, they, you know, they were very, very canny as musicians and producers. And, and if you listen to Any Christ Superstar, there's songs that have, um, you know, a lot of uh, just sort of melodic complexity and structural complexity. Mm-hmm. The whole record has, you know, it's a concept album, you know, so they're thinking back to to the sort of prog rock of yore, mm-hmm. I think. And, and um, it's not like some sort of slapdash, um, look how fucked up we are, we're going to bang this out. You know, like It was like the opposite of that. Because also there was just so much fucking money in the late 90s, like music industry because of CDs. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it was just, there was just so much money yeah that, like that they could afford to just like we're gonna toss the recording equipment out of the funeral home in new orleans that we converted into a recording studio <laughs> and like jimmy it's like yeah sure sounds great yeah so just I give us an album yourselves guys it you did use a three great whatever right. is that it. is that the biggest casualty of you know sort of the the death of selling music is um no one destroys shit anymore yeah like no one, like you know, Justin Bieber for all of his fuckboy tendencies. I don't think we've heard of him like breaking his shit, like breaking his like tractor or whatever, like uh, like electronic. You know, Skrillex isn't like pissing on his DJ equipment. No one drives cars into the pool at the at the Holiday Inn and gets banned anymore, like Keith Moon did. Right. Yeah. No, I've, the record labels just don't have the cash for that. Yeah, I mean, everybody seems like on such a thin thin rope and like your reputation. And the proliferation of rumor about your reputation in like not a, uh, oh, they they covered a groupie in meat type of way, but like, oh, this person had a tour whose expense was like slightly higher than it's in in, (laughs) intake. And that's like, you know, uh, easily reported and and disseminated over whatever medium. Yeah, I don't know. Music seems much more uh, <laughs> professional, which uh, I guess is both good and bad, except if you're like fucking Kesha, who spends a decade trying to persecute in the wilderness. Yeah, not persecute. Sorry. A decade trying to prosecute the, yeah. one, the one person who the informality of the music industry allowed to uh, fuck her over. Yeah. yeah, it seems like it's the behind the scenes people who are given the, the sort of leeway to. Yeah, be, and if you're like, public, you have to be kind of right, uh, right. Squeaky, squeaky clean, even yep. if you are a provoca- a modern day provocateur yeah. like Kesha. Right. That's also because, like, you know, Pepsi and Coke and, like, American Express are sponsoring your tours now. Yeah. They, don't, they won't put up with any shit. <laughs> the Antichrist right. superstar. Well, yeah, because the money's not coming from sales anymore. The no. money's coming from tours and licensing. And yeah, brands so, and stuff. It's not yeah. like the so Antichrist Superstar tour up. Yeah. sponsored by Pepsi Cola. Right, right. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, maybe kind of. I, don't I don't think he's ever had a corporate sponsor because I don't think anyone would touch him, right? I mean, now you could definitely do. What would you do? Um,. What is like a good ironic brand? Not like Old Spice, but something like Old Spice. Like a life insurance Uh, company? You do a Snickers commercial where (laughs) you're not you when you're hungry and they're not you that you're hungry is Marilyn Manson. Like that's a commercial that would fly. They would would throw him a a cool, cool, I don't know, mill to to do that five seconds of of commercial plug, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's where he has like – that's the movement from – a, a pop cultural or anti-pop uh, firebrand to like 
pop culture joke that yeah. happens with 20 years of age. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they nailed him to the wall on the onion. You know, I, I want to say like 1999, like Marilyn Manson now going door to door trying to shock people. Or <laughs> <laughs> That's a, good, a picture of him. That's but great. I mean, you know, when I, again, when I saw him at Ozfest, like, you know, it was, it was first of all, great fucking lineup. Typo negative. Marilyn I was Manson, wondering what was at that Ozfest. Yeah. Um, uh, Fear, Fear Factory, I don't really care for. Um, Ozzy Solo and then Reunited Sabbath with uh, uh, the dude from uh, Faith No More on drums because uh, the original drummer couldn't hack it at the time. Anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was an amazing Ozzy did a show. solo set and Black and Sabbath. Sabbath. That's pretty great. And, but the whole, like, the Meadowlands chain and chanting, Satan. Say, say, that didn't happen when I was at the Jets game a couple weekends ago. It's a huge bummer. But you know, Manson's getting out there, and it's like besides the sort of you know the fascist iconography, he like he's breaking bottles and cutting himself on stage. Yes, like into his forties. Well, I mean, well, I don't know if he's still doing it, but I mean, what I'm saying is, in '97, like you know, even when he is like a huge arena rock mainstream success story, like. He's doing shit Iggy Pop did. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. When Iggy Pop was just a fucking weird nobody who, yeah, yeah. you know. Rolling around in peanut butter. Right, right. <laughs> um, Strong move. Should we talk for a second about what's been going on with Manson recently? Yeah, well, you know, to segue into that of, like, the idea of corporate sponsors not being able to touch him. I mean, this. so this book came out a year before uh, the Columbine Massacre. Um so he hadn't yet that was kind of his he recently said in the press that you know Columbine ruined his career because it he never, he never really came back from that it could it could be for a bunch of reasons because the late 90s hasn't really been replicated again could still happen um who knows but he so he was recently he used a prop on stage of a of a semi-automatic weapon on the same day that there was the Texas church shooting and got in big trouble per usual and his thing was once again like I'm still the funny thing is like he's saying I'm still trying to make a statement about the availability like of gun culture in America because it hasn't changed since I was still doing it 20 years ago like same shit he really has been incredibly consistent about that like Hollywood which is the third in what he called his triptych at the time animals. like it was like the tour was called the God Guns and Government Tour Um, in which he became a libertarian. Yeah. And it was like all about, you know, it was, he, he has, you know, it's like, this is the, this is evolution, the monkey, the man, and then the gun. Like, like he just Mm. fucking sang a lot about guns. Like Mm -hmm. uh, he kind of understood that this was something wrong with America. Um, I always think it does. it, it, It gives him, you're selling him short. If it's just like, oh, he's just reaching to the nearest weapon to hand, to, like to try and freak out the squares and kind of be lame at it, like, yeah, he's been talking about that for a long time, and he still kind of has to because it's all the same. And this also, this concert was in San Bernardino, right, right, which is another um, level. What I mean, it's, and again, it's like crazy, crazy, crazy ironic that it happened the same day as well, another mass shooting because yeah. you could do it on any day and it would it probably would occur during a mass shooting. shooting. That's yeah. what I that's what I was going to say is like the cynical take take on that is that it's utterly unremarkable to say that he was doing something on stage the day of a mass shooting yeah. because yeah. that's like every third day, yeah, um, in this stupid country. <laughs> um, yeah. Also, look, also, look at how the Joker esque he's gotten in his stage presentation at this point. <laughs> or has wow. the Joker gotten Manson esque? Well, yes. The yeah. answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. 
Uh, I do want to go back just as we're on this topic to whether or not, quote unquote, Columbine ruined his career. Yeah. Because there is that burn bright and fade out of shock rock in the late 90s that I find very interesting that it's like the alt rock movement that goes over the 90s. It's kind of like starts with Nirvana breaking and ends with, I guess, the popularity. I don't know if I have enough uh, line to tie this to like Linkin Park being like the last band in that lineage. But well, you they're know. not shock rock, but they kind of take the motifs, but make it sort of like sanitized for regular consumption. Yeah. yeah. See, for me, it all the after everything after the Spice Girls was like a different decade for all intents. Sure. And sure. Yeah. You know, then you entered the dark nineties. Yeah. But what about yeah? But what Woodstock about like Limp Bizkit? Was, was kind of the ultimate of the of the yes. Yes. like the late nineties situation. But like, what what is like the communication between like something like Limp Biscuit and, and Marilyn Manson where, you know, those two things would be like sold side by side in a CD store. But, and though they seem to occupy that same, like vaguely outrageous, hard rock, like simple riffs, sometimes stripper music space. They seem like very, very different artistic. It became so macho. West Borland was kind of it gave Limp Bizkit almost more kind of I don't want to say credibility, but like he was more interesting than the band was. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. a guitar player who looked like some sort of weird. Like, he looked like he should be in them. Right, looked like should be in Marilyn Manson. He was much more interesting than the band, or in um, like a, a latter day Star right. Wars movie too. <laughs> West Borland does look like a Star Wars character. He kind of looks like a plastic figurine, like brought to life, like yes. life size, like Tyra Banks. But it was all there was no like it was all like I want to get laid. I'm angry like with my mom and dad. Like it, it, it there was no kind of. Uh, any sense, you know, that these people were like well read or sure. had anything interesting to say. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, it just kind of got worse and worse from there. The one exception, I think, was Corn. Like uh-huh. the first Corn record, I want to say, came out in 94, 95. And um, again, it was a situation where all you knew was internet rumor. So there was so much stuff on that first record about child abuse, including the cover, mm. you know. And so what went around was, and I'm still not even sure how much of this is actually true and how much of it was exaggeration or whatever, that Jonathan Davis, the lead singer Corn, was like, you know, sexually abused by his stepfather, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And that he was, he had a song called Faggot and mm-hmm. um, that he was gay. Like, that's what we all thought was true. Yeah. You know, and we we're like, this is amazing that someone is making this music in this genre and like being so unapologetic mm-hmm. about, you know, cause this is still a time when like your gay friends were like, you know, I mean, this still happens, you know, but like back then, like it was like just absolutely commonplace that they would get the shit kicked out of them or yeah. know, people would, would just really ruthlessly go after them. Yeah. And I remember like gay friends of mine being like, holy, you know, who weren't necessarily metalheads, and I would play this for them and they'd be like, holy shit, this is great. And mm-hmm. it was just like, no, he just kind of was weird, so he got called that, and he kind of took that as some sort of badge of honor, which is an entirely different story. Yeah. But that was like, Corn <laughs> was like the one bridge, you know, because mm-hmm. they were like a little bit gothier yes, yes. and a little bit weirder. Mm-hmm. And then it went, by the time it became Limp Bizkit, it was just sort of macho aggression. Shit. Right. It was like, it was, it was kind of, uh, it was not critiquing the the negative emotions that it was conveying Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. I mean, but that is the weird thing is that all this stuff is in communication in each with each other as the like macho impulses take over alt rock in the nineties and drive it into this like increasingly ridiculous spiral out 
into stuff like corn or stuff like yeah corn and limp biscuit and you kid know rock also and, kid rock and, right. and even like a little lincoln park although maybe it's more my my association with who liked what when i was a kid yeah that puts those things together and then like that kind of rock very quickly becomes irrelevant uh in the early aughts and and that's you know, post immediately post combine that like um, the Marilyn Manson style like goes out of fashion very quickly afterwards. And to what extent is it that it's no longer popular because of other pop pop culture mm-hmm. insinuations of it? And to what extent, you know, music just rolled over really quickly into a new form. It was strange. Cause, um, you had this like really rapture, like, like rapid, like you said, like sort of, uh, uh, splintering or spider webbing out into different things. Like, what Nirvana started couldn't hold for very long. Right. You know, it held for like I would say a maximum of six years if yeah. you want to be generous about it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people I know wouldn't be that generous about it. And then indie became a thing. Yes. Which is where the sort of sensitive uh quote unquote feminine impulses went. Then mm-hmm. um electronic music and dance music became right. a se- a separate thing. And then that slowly it, merged into hip hop and became like right, more yeah, yeah. Right. And 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 so like rock and roll People are like, well, rock is dead because your definition of rock and roll is either new metal mm-hmm. or uh, sort of like post grunge, like Creed, right? Or um, <laughs> you know, indie bands that like don't get played on the radio, don't have like a major pop cultural footprint, with the exception of very few, like very very few bands, like the Arcade Fire or something like mm-hmm. that, or like mm-hmm. Decemberus or something like right. like that, but or like, like the garage rock thing, yes, right, burned but, briefly, yeah, eventually, that, yeah, <laughs> the Strokes and stuff like that, but you know. Because of this sort of, um, I really do think it's it, it's how the sort of transgressive impulses of a Marilyn Manson or a Trent Reznor yeah. became macho that kind of killed off rock and roll in the discourse. Because there's still rock music, like Miguel's last record was a rock album. You know, like half mm-hmm. of the last Beyonce record was rock and roll music. Kesha is a rock artist. Adele is a rock artist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, bands you may not necessarily like, but like. Here, it would be uncontroversial like 20 years ago to have called this kind of, or 30 years ago to have called this kind of music rock and roll. And now people don't because rock and roll is Limp Bizkit. Right. You know? that, right. The one thing you said that I think is, gets to the thing that I like am trying to put out in, or associate in my mind is that the idea of transgression got associated with this idea of hyper masculinity and then like kind of phased out into something that doesn't listen to it anymore. And like uh, popular rock music is no longer transgressive in that way. Like it's mostly, about like reifying institutions. Or like, or like, yeah, reifying institutions or like pointing back to some kind of nostalgic thing or you, like very consciously aping a, another type of uh, uh, music that's already come. And the thing that Manson and a lot of people in his, his kind and genre, even back into Nirvana, like that kind of angry at the system or like how I've been dying for rage against the machine to like redo a reunion tour or any other band that has even the like pop uh, socialist Marxist anarchist politics of rage against the machine, like come back out. Like the time is right for that kind of shit, but it just doesn't exist because that idea of transgressiveness got bred out of rock music and even pop music is like, you know, again, Kesha is like transgressive pop music. And again, I love Kesha, but it's not like that transgressive. It's like 
coming home too late, too covered in glitter and booze. Hey, that's a that feels transgressive. Yes, but but you but you, you you guys get what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, I'm just like looking at the you know the nominees for best rock album at the Grammys and how it's changed. Like this past year, the winner was Cage the Elephant, and the the runners up were Blink 182, Gojira, Panic at the Disco, and Weezer. Like, what is Gojira? I don't know. Their their album's called Magma, which is a good name for an album. But like, you know, Beck, Ryan Adams, Black Keys, U2, like it's a legacy like yeah. award at this point. Like I feel like I don't know, this is something we tend to talk about a lot is like whether rock is a thing or whether rock is like stale. Because rock music is still selling, but I do agree that it's not the the this, definition this is Gojira, of what, by the way. Is this Gojira? Yeah. Okay. This is off their album, their 2016 album, Magma. I yeah. guess this is like a, a, a like modern metal album. Will you s- scroll back up to the top? They all have that kind of Orlando Bloom and Pirates of the Caribbean facial hair <laughs> that's like just the this and the like just the scraggly goatee, yeah. just the hint, the soup, the soupçon of a goatee. See, this is why I kind of love Twenty One Pilots. I I have a I have a thing for Twenty One Pilots too, and I don't know why. Because they move towards. See, this does sound like nineteen ninety nine, right? Grammy nominated. This is a throwback album. for yeah. sure. But it's just we've defined, and we are fucking far afield from Marilyn Manson right now. Yeah, yeah. But this is like a. This is my. This is the. This is a classic Sean Rand, which is that we've <laughs> just defined a lot of what is rock and roll out of rock and roll. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. the Sky Ferreira record that came out a few years ago, like. That's a rock album. That Amazing be, album. Yeah. That's like but it's like for some reason we can't for some reason call it that. Yeah. And e- it's like why? every every journalist is like trying so hard to make her into like is a pop, pop right. It's like it's because fucking, she has blonde hair and is young. <laughs> it's Pat Benatar, man, you know. It's, it's rock and roll. It's this is what it is, you know. And like I said, there's a lot of artists and some of it has to do with the, the sort of um uh not so latent racism of sure. uh rock radio and and sexism and, just, and sexism and like yeah and yeah. and uh you know what gets counted as rock and roll and 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 Manson was kind of like a to I think to Manson's credit saw where this was headed and deliberately subverted it on mechanical yeah. animals with like the the bodysuit and like doing a, a glam rock record and mm-hmm. you know um kind of tried to steer away from that nookie break stuff impulse, you know? Yeah. Um, anyway, we're listening to <laughs> Skyfire right now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. A true rock album. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we've got almost two hours, uh, but I think that it's all been good. Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, I usually do at the end of these, like, how do, you, how do we feel now about Marilyn Manson. I think one of the biggest takeaways of him is like remove the imagery, remove all the controversy. I mean, that stuff about him is interesting and very essential to him. But as you said, maybe an hour ago, uh, one of the main <laughs> things about uh, Marilyn Manson is he's got the tunes. Yeah, he's got fucking got some real like catchy banger, funny, intense songs that like still really jam and. It's worth revisiting his music to uh, now to to, to divorce to, of the controversy that surrounded him and how you might either now write him off as like something that you would not have cared for at the time or think that you wouldn't care for now. Yeah. Uh, listen to how good some of those songs are.
I think you're pointing out that he's like a like sort of studio rat is like those those songs sound expensive, right? Mm-hmm, Which like mm-hmm. I feel like doesn't always happen these days. And like there there was that certain time period where it was just like this sounds like money and I yeah. like it. <laughs> yes. Um So many I, songs these days sound unfinished. I will also say that like, you know, there's some weird there's some weird shit involving women in this book, but he seems to be aware of the concept of consent, I would say, 98% of the time. Which, in this world, and this week, isn't something that people always know how to deal with. So, I will give him a B-plus on that. <laughs> I mean, from Neil Manson, I think that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'll give mm-hmm. him a solid solid 3.4 GPA on that. Woof. And an E for effort. And an E for effort. An e for yeah. effort. <laughs> Sean, is there anything you'd like to plug before we uh, we uh, pack it in for today? Sure, why not? If you like Marilyn Manson, dear listener, you might like a book that uh, me and uh, my partner Julia co-edited called Mirror, Mirror 2. Ooh. It's a collection of uh, gothic, erotic, horror, comics, and art featuring a lot of cool artists, including Clive Barker. Which is sort of our biggest get. Awesome. Um, Hell yeah. Dame Darcy, Al Columbia, uh, lots of super wonderful people um, that you can get at 2D, 2D Cloud, numeral 2DCloud.com, uh, which is our publisher, or you can get it at Amazon. And, uh, you know, just look for me around. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I write for all kinds of places and all kinds of spaces. Amazing. Um, Molly? I don't have anything to plug. I'm uh, just trying to live every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can find me on the tweets, though, at Miss Molly Mary. Yeah, I'm at Say What Again on Twitter. Uh, I'm trying to think. I will have a sketch show again in December that people could come and see, but it, by the time this comes out, it'll be too late uh, for my sketch show on Monday. Uh, but I don't know. The Magnet Theater is a good place to see live comedy, and we have sketch shows on Monday nights there. Um, and I don't know. I have a new job that some people might be coming to this uh, from eventually. And if you are from that, thank you for listening to this. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, <laughs> sketchy, you can follow us on Twitter at and intro pod or send us an email at and introducing pod at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. And remember to subscribe to us on iTunes. <sighs> And if you do subscribe to us there, please rate and review because uh, some of weird alchemy of iTunes makes that better for us. And we only have a handful of rates and reviews right now, and it's feeling pretty lonely over there. And uh, like the sad, dejected uh, child that was Marilyn Manson uh, roaming around like an outcast in Ohio, Florida, someday this iTunes page will make it to greatness and uh, uh, write about this time when it only had uh, a few reviews. And don't you wish that you could be a, a friend with it? In that I'm, early age, I'm always begging people to. I have a podcast too. I should plug that. Oh, yeah, yeah, plug, plug that. Yeah, the, boil, the boiled leather audio hour, uh, which is a podcast about uh, George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire. Only yeah. real ASOIF fans need apply. That's right. But there's also Game of Thrones and all kinds of related pop culture, art, politics stuff. You can find the kind of home site for that at boiledleather.com. It's just my Tumblr, but. We're always begging people to rate and review because uh, in the last, uh, I would say, year, we've gotten a lot of one-star reviews from people who hate me because I hate Trump. It's all just like, you know, basically it's just like, shut up and sing about Game of Thrones, which has 
Okay, whatever, yeah. man. Whatever. <laughs> I don't know what you're getting out of it. But uh, so anyway, yeah, I, I feel you on the rate and review. That's ridiculous. Uh, but more than rate and review, I mean, I've been doing this the last few episodes. If you if you like the show, like literally, if it, go tell a friend. Say in physical person to somebody, hey, I like this podcast and introducing. That's always going to be the best way. You know when you talk to your friends and you're like, oh, podcast. And your friends are like, oh, podcast. And then you start talking about something else. Don't don't do that. that. Just do another one. It's not cheesy. Just say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast and it's really fun. And you you thought you didn't care about Marilyn Manson. And it turned out Marilyn Manson is really interesting. Yeah. Also, just a podcast recommendation that is neither ours nor Sean's podcast is um, Marilyn Manson recently appeared on uh, WTF with Mark Marin, and it is a listen. Oh my <laughs> god! I didn't I'd refer to it during this recording because you know the text at hand was more important. Um, but he gets you just have to listen to it. It's it it takes a turn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, as always, these uh, call to actions uh, and uh, shows. I've gotten a little out of hand, but thank you for sticking along to the I very... disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, well. Uh, you don't have to edit it. Thank you very much, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, Sean, for uh, coming in today. Uh, it's been a blast chatting about this with you. And for all our listeners, we'll see you again in two weeks on And Introducing...